keynote speaker who comes all the way from Virginia. He's an innovator, e-futurist, Douglas Goldstein. Doug is an innovator in population health and technology. He specializes in, his, he specializes in accelerating growth by applying the right mix of mobile, social media, gamification, big data analytics, behavioral economics, and emerging technologies. As an e-futurist, Doug delivers the latest insights on health transformation through, uh, through innovation, collaboration, and leadership. He's published many, many books, which you all should buy. Ladies and gentlemen, Douglas Stick Goldstein. So how's everyone? Fantastic. That's great. Mandy Fudell is fantastic. I, I met the entire front row. Um, all right, so I got three screens going. I got my phone, I got my tablet, and I got the computer. Who's got more screens going than me right now? Nobody's admitting to it, but somebody does. Always. Well, here's our plan, right? So ACA, we were moving along, and Greg Masters, my associate who runs ACO Watch, says, who would have thunk that 70%, 61%, 70% of the market now is influenced by a TPA, a PPO, moving along the plan, and then the ACA comes along. And all of a sudden, it looks a little bit different how we're, I mean, how, how do we get to the finish line? Because the path isn't smooth. But I'm not sure it's ever been smooth. We've always known that healthcare costs have been accelerating. And we're trying to figure out what works. And we're also trying to figure out what's on the horizon. And I hope to touch on both of those. What's on the horizon is really important because you just heard a lot of the blocking tackling on what's happening legislatively. But I'm going to try to shift gears a little bit to know what's happening with humans. In fact, the people, the families, the individuals that you and I are serving every day. So, Together, I think, through this talk and the entire program, you'll get to the finish line because of your ingenuity, your relationships, your knowledge, and your expertise. So I just hope to share some perspectives in really three categories as we move from the questions and the challenges to solutions that work. So there's three segments of the talk that we're going to talk about. We're going to touch on some driving forces. Then we're going to talk about technologies and solutions. Now, this is a sampling. And some of these technologies may apply to the particular hat that you're wearing today. But one of the points we're going to make as we explore digital doctoring, omics doctoring, and what I call customer science. Now, some people call it behavioral economics, but customer science says if I took, if I gathered up everybody's cell phone and looked at the apps you use most frequently, it would be different. So we're going to explore that. And finally, we're going to look at I'm going to ask you to think a little bit, and we're going to look at some examples of healthy communities. Because as we move from fee-for-service to value-based reimbursement, we have a whole new dynamic and a whole set of new indicators about what is health. And we're going to look at the intersection of that. So, I don't know, does anybody know who is really attributed to this quote? The future's already arrived, it just isn't evenly distributed. Comment? You're, you're too shy. You're, you're all too shy. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Well, no. It was actually a science fiction writer. And it wasn't Donald Trump either. Uh, we just have equal, we need equal time, right? We need Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump. So uh, William Gibson was a science fiction writer. And what's interesting, if you go back, and I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, right? You look at the things that didn't exist in, 19, in the 1960s that now imaging, that now exist because we could imagine it. So a science fiction writer who coined the term cyberspace said the future, so the seeds, so my journey here as an innovator and an e-futurist is that I, I've looked at, the seeds of the future are planted today. They're just not evenly distributed. So I'm hoping to bring out some of those seeds and every one of the communities you serve is a little bit different. So how those trees grow, Trees grow differently in the south than they do in the northeast and the northwest. I hope to highlight some of those things for you in this journey. So this was one of the key diagrams from 2005 from my medical informatics book. I had things in there, the team, it was really a team project, we had things like regenerative medicine. 
So there's an example. I was just at a precision medicine conference earlier this week. Every cancer cell has a signal. It's eat me or don't eat me. It's I kept thinking Pac-Man, right? When, when, the, when the scientist from Stanford talked about, and he spun out a company called 47, he spun about this eat me or not eat me. So you think about cancer cells, what they figured out how to do is to turn off the eat me signal. So my body's immune system cannot capture that. Well, he's figuring out ways using precision medicine to target that signal and turn the don't eat me to an eat me again. So the body regenerates and recovers from that. And that's the kind of thing that's coming out of, so it's not that I invented those words on there, but you could go into the research at that point in 2005 and identify these things. And we've always known who's the largest provider of healthcare in this country. Self-care. But thanks for sharing. It's what we do for each other. If you have, the first thing you do is you may look to the internet for help to figure out whether you can help yourself. You may ask a friend, maybe you know your mom or somebody's a nurse. That's off, and then the things we do for each other now. How many people are wearing a Fitbit or some other kind of wearable device tracking your steps? And if we had asked that question five years ago, maybe nobody would be raising their hands. So we're gonna look at some of these dynamics. And a couple of the key things that I realized this is, being healthy shouldn't be work. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna educate you to be healthier. We have to figure out how to make it fun. That was one big insight. And it's not about the individual. Every individual lives inside of a family and in a community. So that health is really a community activity. So going back 10 years ago, Wired Magazine, I've been a bit of a fan. They've had, they had a contact lens. Well, this contact, why do I need a phone to surf the internet? <laughs> I could just get the weather from my contact lens or surf the internet or make a phone call from my contact lens. You think, well, someone imagined this and Wired called it an artifact of the future. Well, what do we have today? What's in the lab? Our friends Google are working on a contact lens that senses glucose levels, self-charging through the contact lens, signals that to my device, my signals I could go into an app, the app could tell me to walk more, watch my diet, what I'm eating, do my insulin. All of a sudden, it's automating a coaching process or a self-care process that I might have had to pick up a phone and talk to a nurse or a doctor. Because of, okay, this whole field of behavioral economics and real-time feedback. We're driving down the road, you see a, a sign that says 35 miles an hour. Okay, you're probably going 40 or 45, right? Now, if that sign is electronic and it says your speed is 40 miles an hour, what do you do? Reduce your speed, speed up. Yeah, you're, you're just <laughs> testing. I got the radar, I know whether the cop's there or not. That real-time signal generally makes most people who are compliant to slow down. But in your case, see that, we're also gonna talk about this customer science and the N of one. I would slow down, he would speed up. If we're gonna impact health behavior, we're gonna to have to understand the dynamics of that with the populations we're serving. So there's four major driving forces overall across all industries, particularly health. I'm lumping fitness, health, and healthcare together. But I'm using the word separately because if we are part of systems now that have to manage value-based reimbursement and the health of populations, we have to think fitness, health, and healthcare. We've got mobility, omics, volume to value, and customer science as key points. Now, we're all essentially part of a payer, provider infrastructure. There's some sub-driving forces. I had the benefit of being in a conference uh, two days with CIOs of leading health systems and then two days at leading C CIOs of, of health plans. And you know what? They all realize this. We're no longer, we're still in a transaction world because most of what the reimbursement is for many people is still fee-for-service. And now we have a scattering. If you've seen one bundled payment plan, you've seen one. We have value-based reimbursement growing through joint ventures, ACOs, the kind of organizations you're pulling together. But they both realize that we are in a relationship world with the people we serve but we're saddled with systems designed to facilitate transactions. 
and the health systems are the the health systems and hospitals are almost in a worse position than the health plans. The health plans have multiple systems doing customer service. The health systems just invested in a transaction system called Epic, which doesn't have the fastest product roadmap to relationships. We also know, and from your research and the white papers that APAN's been doing, you've got smart networks and smart analytics. How do we get data in that allows us to understand what's going on with a population or a group of populations, and how do we serve them? Also, uh, blocking cyber attacks is number one on the top list of most health systems, health plans, and others based on the hacks. And the, Then bigger is better. Now, hopefully, bigger is better. But consolidation is drive being driven. Digital doctoring, the extension of the doctoring. We're not going to train enough doctors and nurses, so it's really provider doctoring and how do we extend the capabilities of the talents of the people who are trained to wherever people are. Because the citizens want care anytime, anywhere, any place that they are. We're a convenient society. And then what I call omics doctoring. Taking the knowledge of proteomics, genomics, microbiome, all those things in the intersections of that, and applying it. And the reality is, innovation's happening in your room. That's why you're at this conference. Not just to hear speakers, you're here to share the innovations that each of you are doing. So four organizations sat down and said, we need to come together to provide a better value-based solution for the people we serve. And I can pronounce Connecticut. Kineticare offers 24 by 7 telemedicine. So examples of these trends, these driving forces, you're all responding, you're all innovating. The innovation starts with the teams that you're working with in your organizations. Let me ask you this question. Is Ford a car company or what? So, turn an example. Turn of the century. Why don't railroad companies run automobile companies? Why are they separate? Because railroad companies didn't think they were a transportation business. They said, I'm a railroad company and that's what I'm going to do. So Ford now, General Motors and others are looking at electric bikes. They're looking at jointly owned cars, vehicles, the model of ownership. They're experimenting with various new models. If Ford's not a car company, what is it? Technology company, thank you for sharing. So, you're not, it's not the correct answer, but you do get the choice between the bananas or the M&Ms. What's the choice? Yeah, you, you answered. You answered it was incorrect, but you answered, so you shared. So we have to reward sharing. <laughs> so this is the challenge of changing human behavior, right? Human behavior is variable, and we live in a consumer culture. We call people consumers, and then we're upset when they consume too many NMLs. And your BMI, but your BMI, we could have you stand up with you. We can do an immediate scan of your BMI. What do we think? How, his BMI is looking pretty good, right? <laughs> so he is allowed to have some of those MLMs, but sharing is nice. That's why he took both, because he's going to share with everybody else. Mobility company. The key word for them is a mobility company. So if we come to, if we're moving beyond health systems, some people say we're trying to get to affordable health systems, and even the health systems say, call, we call ourselves health systems, but we're really sick systems. We're still designed to respond to diseases. Look, when the systems you've provided that facilitate me going into cancer remission or some other healing process, what is that about? It's about life. What you are doing to enable an improved system is making a difference in people's lives so they can live longer and see their grandchildren. It's vital, improving these systems. 
and you're doing it. The answers lie in this room, and it lies with the resources you're bringing in to pull in and really say how all the members can collaborate to share the cool innovations you're working on. So with that said, based on market needs, APAN's doing tremendous sets of resources. I had a chance to look at that and top care principles. And what the key process that you're trying to facilitate is move from process measures to outcomes. If I say, all right, the, we've counseled X percent of our people on smoking cessation, that's very different than saying, I've improved the health status of the population because we only have 5% smokers in that population. And the measures to document the outcomes are very different than the other dynamics. So smart networks and smart analytics. When we go down to the bottom, here's what we're measuring against. Value-based purchasing gains momentum, smart networks. Beyond narrow networks, we're going to take those narrow networks and make them smarter and a bit more flexible with the analytics. And these are the things that APAN is supporting all of your organization and moving forward on. And then we can bring out examples. I went to many of your websites, pulled out examples of innovation that's happening in this room. And if we talk about moving the learning health systems to moving learning life systems, it's the interaction with that environment. So I want to highlight on some technologies and solutions that I'm seeing out there. And one of those first approaches is, oh, what is it? Who can name the song? Thank you. And the reality is, we are all re-engineering our lives. I'm going home, and when I want to go home, I'm going mobile. Nobody's dancing, right? I don't care about pollution. We are re-engineering our lives to mobile devices. Uh, who's managing your lights through Nest in your home and the heating levels? Who's managing your TV through your phones? Few people. Uh, who uses maps on a daily basis on your phones? Right now, who sends text messages every day on your phones? Right. The people you're serving, both on the business side, I actually think one of the most important things to have to connect with a citizen or a business partner is their mobile phone and having some understanding whether they're comfortable getting a text from me if I'm trying to serve them better. So we have this multi-trillion dollar environment, and this was actually a slide I pulled off of um, Pharma, and it really outlines how, people talk about the Uber of healthcare, right? Now I think healthcare is different, and I think it's difficult to Uberize healthcare. However, in specific categories, it is happening. So. This, this slide really said, can we Uberize chemotherapy at home? It's a $2.3 billion business. Um, Uber is looking at delivering vaccinations or flu shots, right? How do we do it, uh, various types of urinalysis at home? How do we, oh, now I saw this company and I, we're partnering with them in another life, but um, it's the Uber of phlebotomy. Igbo, think about it. You need to get a, a sample from somebody anywhere, anytime. They'll send out, a, they have a net, 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 nationwide network of phlebotomists trained that can go anywhere. So if you're trying to reach a disadvantaged population, understand what's going on with them, and they don't have transportation to get to a doctor or a hospital, here's a service that can get out there. So looking at more of these examples, what I realized is that healthcare overall is not going to be Uberized, but elements certainly, certain sub-processes lend themselves to a solution that's going to meet my needs. I want it now. I want it anywhere. And this is a priority of the federal government. They're in the process of starting the process of getting a million DNA samples from Americans. And the Veterans Administration has already started that with 400,000 DNA samples from veterans to understand the interaction of our DNA and genomics and proteomics with our external environment that we live in and how can we improve health with that. So this sets the stage for what I call digital doctoring. There is a whole series of companies out there that are providing data in. So if I'm trying to reduce weight, then my activities of daily living and perhaps the amount of steps I take 
is important. So data from my Fitbit. So I'm gonna just highlight a few companies doing innovative work in this space in digital doctor. You know what's interesting? This is not new, this whole movement called quantified selfers. The fact that 10% of us, maybe 20% are wearing Fitbits and looking at these numbers. This was from 2009. This was the cover of Wired Magazine that really identified <coughs> the first published identifications of this movement called quantified selfers. And now we're looking at a multi-billion dollar industry and we're seeing solutions coming out of companies to combine fashion, fun, and friends. So if we're looking at people to change behavior, remember the three F's. Fun, fashion, and friends. We're looking at potentially a $53 billion industry. So, all right, we're, we're wrong, it's 35 billion. It's still very large market shares, companies like Under Armour. I had an interesting meeting at Under Armour recently, and they're no longer thinking just fitness. So they, their business has been fitness, wear, and enabling a lifestyle. So they think about connected health now, but they're beyond connected health, and they're thinking connected health plus medical. Collected, connected fitness, health, and medical, because their, their concern, their interest as a consumer product company is a whole person. And they know the whole person doesn't stop with just fitness. Zipnosis is an interesting company out of Minneapolis. They basically are an extension of the primary care doctor's office, and so they're acting as an agent of a physician, a primary care practice, or a care team. They can analyze up to 40 conditions in the context of my electronic health record as an extension of the practice. So rather than calling the doctor's office and booking an appointment, I can just go onto my app, I can essentially do a self-guided triage that's not separate from my medical record, but it's an extension of the doctor's practice, and they're documenting the ability to increase PCP capacity, because we're not gonna train doctors faster, and they're documenting a benefit per encounter. Edlogics, it's a company that's doing a lot of work around documenting people's health literacy and then tailoring information to your health literacy level, which is not just your reading level. It's a combination of other factors related to age and other factors. They partnered with Vanderbilt, and one of the things they've created is essentially called Health Scratch. So let's take the concept of a lottery and use that to encourage better compliance, whether it's a fitness recommendation or a medical recommendation. Um, I've had some opportunities to experience and be in the innovation lab. So Walter Kluwer's Health has acquired up-to-date health language and several other companies. And they took the assets of those companies and they created a solution that they call POC Advisor. It essentially dropped sepsis mortality 53% in their beta hospital, Huntsville. And they did this by essentially, so we think Watson, right? Watson supporting doctors. In this case, this is a nurse support on floors. It's essentially monitoring all the electronic data on a patient and predicting whether a patient is septic or not through the combination of data inputs. And then they're alerting the nurses, this is not the ICU or the ED, it's general floors where the nurses are high staff ratios, they're busy. It's alerting them to check on patients and they documented this and presented the results at HIMSS last year. Now, I'm gonna bring up, won't dwell on it longly, the third rail of healthcare. If we look at the big things we have to change to reduce healthcare costs, it's really learning how to deal with end of life. And there's innovative companies like Care Goals that have figured, you know, with the changes in reimbursement, look, many people are dying in the hospital and they wanna die at home. At the end of life, when you look at the data, we're not having the conversations with individuals and we're not fulfilling their wishes. So the health systems that we're constructing, these learning health systems, are gonna to have to deal with the value-based issue related to the end of death and, not, and helping people achieve the kind of closure on their lives that they choose, not what the medical system determines. Now what I like to see is also health system innovators. So this is Rich Milani. He's running a hypertension clinic in, at Oshner down in New Orleans. Now the interesting thing is he likes the Apple Watch a lot better than the Fitbit because that is very bi-directional. So what he's gotten a lot of press, a 
about the Apple Watch and be one of the first to implement the Apple Watch to help manage his hypertension patients. The real innovative work that Rich Milani is doing is he's building an infrastructure in their electronic health record is Epic. He's building an infrastructure on Epic that he calls a specialized individual practice unit because Epic was primarily designed to do transactions, not manage chronic conditions. And he realized that. So he's engineering and building a whole set of resources to help bring in this bi-directional data. Now he's doing that with a number of things. He's actually tracking two things. He's tracking patient compliance with medication. So he may hand a medication prescription, but he's also handing a fit, uh, app wearable prescription. And his initial findings is, people are more compliant with their app and physical condition because many people are realizing they're over-medicated and if they can achieve an improved health status through an app and a wearable device, they'll do that. So what happens is he provides his medication prescriptions as needed, but also an app and wearable prescription. And so when people walk out of his office, they go by what he calls the O-bar, standing for Oshner. The O-bar is like your Apple Genius Bar, where there's a, a person there, like that technician, technology geek, uh, the local, kind of the Oshner geek, right? Uh, that, that geek will help me understand and load the app on my phone, connect it to my device, and then provide that data into my care team extending the reach of the care team. Now, innovation. So that's an example of innovation happening to track the efficacy of medications and wearable devices and publish that results and also impact people's lives. But there's an epidemic. What do we use? And there's several companies. One of these is uh, Exertia. What apps to prescribe? Because doctors, a lot of apps, do not provide the kind of connectivity and data to their care teams that what uh, Rich Milani's doing. So Social Wealth has formed a not-for-profit called Exertia, sort of like the good housing keep of approval for apps. Are they secure? Do they work? Do they share data effectively? Do they match standards? So the good news is amidst the app epidemic, we have organizations taking leadership to try to support organizations and doctors in integrating the app and wearable as part of the health and medical processes and move it just out of the, from the fitness into fitness, health, and medical care. Now, I'm gonna, part of this is, remember we talked about moving from transactions to relationships? I think Walgreens is knocking it out of the park. I've been tracking what they've been doing with mobile for the good six, last six or seven years. How many people have the Walgreens app on their phone? And what are you using it for every day? Or every other day? Pardon? Yeah. What? No-dos? Oh. Photos? Prescription refills? Uh, how about talking to a pharmacist? So Walgreens truly is a corner of happy and healthy, and you can also get your cigarettes there too. <laughs> Now, that's not true of CVS, I'll give them a plug, but once we're a consumer society, right, and we have to empower people, they should have the right to choices, and that's Walgreens' position. But 24 by 7 pharmacy chat, pharmacists and medical therapy, man medication and management is a huge extension of the care team, and helping people understand and comply with their medications is a huge gap across the systems. So if I look at the number of things I can do, photos, I can talk to a pharmacist now when it's convenient for me. They're implementing telemedicine, digital coaching, um, coupons. Uh, a friend of ours, Jane Saracen Khan, she generates nearly $50 a month in balance, balance reward points for sharing her fitness data. That's redeemable for products and stuff in Walgreens that she needs. $50 a month times 12 months is $600. That's a real value to the people. That's how you connect with people in terms of supporting them in managing and moving their lives forward. Now this data is maybe seven months old, but it, the numbers are significant. They're rolling out telemedicine visits in addition to their clinics and their pharmacies. 22 million miles logged, 
20,000 people connecting devices monthly, a digital prescription every second, stored in one place, share it with your doctors, balance reward forms. That's what I call a sticky application that can help influence and support people in their activities of daily living. So that's a bit of a wrap of the digital doctoring. I'm not going to spend as much time on what I call omic doctoring. And I was sharing with Mandy from Dell, who's uh, you're doing a workshop at 12, right? And you've got Legos? Or you're going to talk about the Lego concept and how we can build solutions, right? The omics, genomics, proteomics, precision medicine, the complexity is 10, 100,000 times more than even the complexity we've been dealing with with the digital world. When we look at this, we move from symptom-based to pattern-based. Now we're moving to algorithm-based. And how do we determine what's actionable from that? So it's easy to say, turn on and turn off that eat me signal from a cancer cell. But not all cancer cells are alike. Every cancer cell, in fact, if I have prostate cancer and you have prostate cancer, our cancers could be different. And they are likely different. And the cancer could be different in the different part of its tumor. So it's easy to say, turn on and turn off the eat me signal of a cancer cell, but it's not universal because different cancer cells are influenced different ways to do that. So now you get down to specific types of cancer in categories that are influenced by specific actions of, that you figure out how to influence that receptor or the action to change that behavior. So one regional health system, ANOVA, uh, has taken a bold step forward. First bold step began eight years ago. They set up the Institute for Translational Medicine. Uh, they're building a new cancer center. And the Translational Medicine Institute was started eight years ago. And they hired, Don, um, they hired John Niederhuber, who headed up the National Cancer Center, to build essentially a private sector translational medicine institute. Now, this institute now is moving to the former ExxonMobil <coughs> campus. So we're now taking an oil and gas headquarters and converting it to bio life sciences with translational medicine, the forefront of cancer treatment in that effort to try to figure out how to capture and look at this intersection of omics and digital. And at the same time, we have the Veterans Administration building genetic profiles on a million veterans, and now we have the federal government asking for volunteers soon to profile your DNA. But they don't want to do that as a separate science experiment. They want a cooperative agreement with everybody. So if you share your DNA and your genomic and your blood, urine, and saliva with the federal government, they want to maintain an ongoing relationship with you to look at your behavior over time. How many people are familiar with the Framingham study? Right, we track people across core basic health factors for 20 years. And then someone cut that data differently and they realize that health is viral, right? There's a social component of health. If you're a smoker, it's likely your friends are smokers. If you have venereal disease, it's likely your friends have venereal disease. <laughs> health is social. So work that is doing, this is actually with a group of congenitally heart uh, kids who had their, had their left ventricle built. And this was a proposal Nova put together for the National Science Foundation. So generally these kids have their hearts rebuilt, they're sent home, and the parents are sent home with a scale and a, a pulse ox. And the parents are asked uh, to take the pulse ox of their kids and weigh their kids seven times a day, and then they're given a set of rules. The parents are given a set of rules that says, if your baby doesn't gain 20 grams, call the cardiologist. If your kid get a pulse ox or the pulse ox isn't in the scale, call the cardiologist. This is a model for automating that processes through this next generation of nano sensors that would be surrounding the child, supporting them, and then tracking those kids, not just for six months, but tying in their growth milestones and comparing them to, to normal kids who didn't have this to figure out how can we improve the health status of this subgroup. And frankly, when you look at the number of children across autism and other conditions that have genetic variations, we start looking at 10% of newborns 
But this is a very focused model to look at one condition that then potentially the data over four years could be extendable to others. That's at the heart and science of precision medicine to look at the interplay of my genomic proteomic profile with my microbiome and with my activities of daily living. Who is this? Watson, who said Watson? You guys are so shy. Look, I got apples or chocolate. Once again, you're just so shy, you're not even gonna come up for the apples or chocolate. But you may race afterwards to get that. Watson beats human in chest. Chest today. Watson plus human against Watson in chest, who wins? Watson plus human. And that's the dynamic we're going forward. So we're looking at the impact of artificial intelligence algorithms to augment human capability to heal and help people. And we're on the forefront of that science. So those are some of the tools we summarized from mobile solutions and applications to the omics and the emerging omics and frankly, the omics are hugely challenged to demonstrate the value proposition so there's reimbursement for genetic tests and other factors that can improve health. And that, we're not, we're on the forefront of documenting the value of that so that payers and others will reimburse it. The whole area of customer science and behavioral economics is also on the forefront because we can now pull in some people say you are what you eat. I think you are the data you consume or the data you share. So unless you pay for cash and unless you um, turn off your wireless connection and you're in airplane mode, that data is being aggregated. Has anybody noticed within seven milliseconds of you doing a search on your phone or on the web, your data's been resold three or four times, so the next time you go to a website, what do you see? If I just look for tennis shoes for my, my kid, I go to a website, what do I see? Ads for tennis shoes. Seven milliseconds. That data is being aggregated on the fly, resold, and you all are walking data profiles. What is the common theme here? So shy, and you, can, you know, you get stuff if you just smoke it, smoke it. <laughs> Actually, the word's addictive. Mobile devices are addictive, the campfires are addictive because of the social factors and the cigarettes are addictive. So thank you for sharing, here. So you're presenting next year, it's called the power of habit. So you're gonna come back next year and you're gonna have a workshop and you're gonna share your insights on customer science and how it relates to what you all are doing at this session. Great, thank you. So we're moving from segmentation, right? We think, oh, boomers are different than millennials or different than Gen Xers. We're really moving from this area of segmentation to extreme personalization, how each of us are different as individuals. So talking about 77 million, we have defined every aspect of the system going forward. And frankly, boomers today think we're 40, maybe even 25. Right, right, right. We don't wanna grow old like our parents. So when you talk about creating systems and networks and programs to move from processing claims to wellness, you have to understand the dynamics and the psychology of this group. But you can't forget the 75 million Gen Xers and the millennials. Millennials are moving from purchasing things to experiences, and that's changing the dynamics of whole markets. And frankly, if we just put our medical hat on, people 65 plus, depending on how they use mobile devices and other things, are the ones driving healthcare costs, medical costs. Okay. The reality is if we're gonna improve the health of a population and lower costs, what's that? The big red thing is lifestyle. The biggest driver of cost is lifestyle. <clears throat> chronic conditions, chronic conditions that are influenced by lifestyle. 
That's why this book, Habits, is important. If you want to change behavior, do I, can I educate you to change behavior? If I, hey look, smoking's bad for you, it could cause lung cancer. You're not getting that immediate feedback because the negative impacts of cancer happen 20 years down the road. But if I could show you your lungs, if you could have a real-time picture of your lungs every time over the span of six months, that might change your behavior. So we have to understand the habits of the people we serve if we're going to change behavior. And fundamentally, if you're moving from transactions to relationships and from fee-for-service reactive to proactive care of a population with systems, you're going to have to understand this dynamic because changing behaviors are hard. And changing behaviors is key. Primera Health is doing some of the most advanced work in human engagement. And I'm not using the term consumer intentionally. They are including vulnerabilities, social environment, physical environment that people are living in, in building their profile. And they've built a profile involving these factors, communication preference on everybody in Washington State or in their service areas that they serve. It's not just their claims background, it's not just their communication preference or their psychographic segmentation. They're looking at people as people. So customer, not consumer, and then ultimately, me. How are you going to connect with me and make a difference in my life? And that's the science. And there's a whole set of data sets and resources available in an emerging group of organizations, some in this room, customer intelligence. Excuse me, you have a customer intelligence company, don't you? Your company's very different today than it was five years ago because of these factors, correct? And you do, you're in a couple interesting businesses, right? Eyeglasses and lingerie, I like that. <laughs> so he's taking the lessons from consumer products and applying them to eyewear. That's why his glasses look so good. Oh, I've only managed to collect 100 megabytes of data on our customers. They're really a bunch of boring people. <laughs> We are billions of data points, and we're generating more and more every day. We add on our genomic and proteomic data. The data sets on each one of us are massive. Now, I want to wrap up. Where am I on time? We got about 10 minutes and questions. This, who's heard of a blue zone before? OK, what's a blue zone? It's, uh, it's an, uh, an area of the world where people live very active lives um, over the age of, I believe it's 90. Yeah, they live long, healthier lives. So in that context, what would you choose? The <laughs> They actually eat a lot of beans. Huh? They eat a lot of beans in the blue zone. They eat a lot of beans. You get the chocolate. Just what I need. <laughs> really? <laughs> Give uh, I'll just keep it then. That's right. uh, I mean, my denial. Is, my husband's from Ontario. Oh, is he? Yes. Okay, so I gotta go back. Uh, I'm gonna show three minutes, a couple minutes of a video. Imagine you're 78 years old. You've worked hard your whole life. You've amassed a nest egg, a nest egg that might last you 10 or 20 years. A second grandchild has come along, a child with whom you might like to spend some time. But if you're an average American with an average American lifestyle and an average set of genes, you're not predicted to live another year. But now imagine you're on your deathbed and somebody could come along with a little piece of paper and on that paper is a formula that could give you up to eight good years of life. What would that be worth? We found the ingredients to that formula in places around the world called Blue Zones. Blue Zones are places around the world where people live the longest, healthiest lives, oftentimes to 100 years or even older. Over the past few years, myself, Dan Buechner, and a group of world-renowned experts from National Geographic, universities, and medical institutions put together the Blue Zones Expedition Team. We've journeyed to these longevity hotspots to identify threads in lifestyles, diet, outlook, and stress coping mechanisms of some of the world's oldest, healthiest people. We wanted to find out what these people were doing in order to gain these extra healthy years. 
Our first Blue Zone visit took us to the island of Sardinia, about 125 miles off the coast of Italy. For four weeks, I led an expedition up to the mountainous Noro province. We used a method developed by scientists at the National Institute on Aging to interview 20 centenarians, mostly men, since Sardinia has the most male centenarians than any place else in the world. We studied how these men shed stress, how they interacted, what the religion was, how medicine played into it. We wanted to shed some light on how they lived to be so old and healthy, perhaps learn from some of their lessons. The person who most exemplified the Blue Zone centenarians was a man named Tonina Tola. This is a guy who loved to walk. Each day he walked between five and seven miles, mostly tending sheep, but also visiting his friends and his family. Like most Sardinians, he also loved his wine. He drank small amounts of it all day long, a little bit during the morning. So we make the, right, this is the part I like. The sheep herding, the gardening, I'm not sure. And, uh, but this part, it's like, I wanted to go to the wine store and say, where can I get that wine? Because it's fun, right? It's about friends, and it makes you feel good. Let's move forward. Morning, at lunch, and then again when he met with his friends at dinner. <laughs> okay, so Blue Zones. Blue Zone formula. So this took three of those areas. Now the interesting thing is Loma Linda is an island inside of um, the county right up there. And it's really built around the Adventist lifestyle. You look at Okinawa, Japan, and so they've got this intersection. So they have these three circles. So yeah, beans, we got beans down there, we got that good wine. We got likability and uh, full time. So when we look in the center, we have family, no smoking, plant-based diet, constant moderate physical activity, social engagement, and lagoons. It's a very interesting prescription that's quite different than the Western medicine approach to health and medical. Because it's around lifestyle, it's around friends, and it's around relationships. And it addresses that factor that your health status is most strongly de determined by your lifestyle. Now this is a hard message to get out to a consumer society. And nowhere did I see in those concentric circles the three screen thing. Does this help me reduce stress or increase stress? Increase. Unless you put ocean music, ocean waves on. So once again, this technology, like a hammer. I can use a hammer to build a house or do a breaking and entering. We can empower the, these are just tools, and we get to choose. Do I listen to ocean music, or do I get stressed out that I haven't answered all my emails? And those are the choices that are in front of the people we serve every day. Look, if my blood vessels, my heart has connective tissues, I have vessels that connect it to the brain. The work you're doing with the processes to help people get the care they need is that connective vessel tissue. So the solutions that you figure out in this process are vital to improving the status of health as we move from react to reactive to proactive care, from disease-based reimbursement to population or value-based reimbursement. So there's an effort in this country. One is called the Way to Wellville. They went out, 50 communities joined a competition, five were selected. So this is an effort to take the Blue Zone concept and in five communities document can they improve the way to health, leveraging the pieces of those worlds that we can figure out how to adapt. What's appropriate from those worlds, appropriate technology or systems or approaches that we can implement? And that's Esther Dyson uh, was the founder of, if you go to the way to Wellville and Hiccup, the site that provides that resource. But over the last 10 years, we've had one of the ways to Wellville. There's a small community in upstate Minneapolis called the New Ulm community. And the New Ulm community has had 10 years to try to create a healthy community. And the thing which is different, number one, it's an American community, small, but an American community, and they have data over 10 years. So this was an effort to reduce heart, the incidence of heart failure and improve heart health in that community. What did they determine? Changes in human behavior were critical. More movement and smarter eating. 
cultural changes, the community got behind this. And there'll be a video link in the slides that are shared that you can go hear people talking about that. High community engagement. It wasn't an isolated product of one group of people with one group of doctors. It was the entire community that got beyond that, whether we define that as a neighborhood or a community. <clears throat> Seeing feeling changes and the limitation, the electronic health record is a medical record. It's not a life record. It's not geared right now to handle a lot of the data coming in from me in terms of my activities in daily living or the other data points I'm creating as a human that may be part of a program. So in wrapping up, we looked at, I would just ask you to think, I would ask you to think a little bit differently, and hopefully there's some insights from the trends and the tools that are out there, and some of these innovators that have taken the concept of Blue Zones and are applying it to our community. If I asked you who invented the electric light bulb, which I just did, you would say, Thomas Edison. It was actually a team. He recruited Lewis Latimer. He's the African-American inventor who holds the patent on the filament. He is the gentleman who tested over a thousand different elements to help Edison figure out how to make the light bulb practical. Because the first light bulb was piloted in England 80 years before that by Sir Herbert Davies. So the point is, innovation doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's a team effort. And the things that you're gonna to have to lever is how do you innovate the future? You take your ideas, you power your teams with the knowledge of the tools and assets that are out there and your sense of timing. Futurists are always right and we're always wrong. We're right about what, we're wrong about when. And that's where your expertise and your teams have to decide which of these innovations are being implemented and critical to your success as an organization. I would say two things in closing. It's going to mean cutting across the silos of what you traditionally thought as the organization. Reaching out to community service organizations, thinking differently, not seeing if this is silos, but it's one system, it's one ecosystem that you're part of, and you're going to try to help influence that ecosystem through various collaboration entities. I went to many of your websites. I pulled out some of the innovations that are happening out of this group. What? No deduct. The problem: young people aren't enrolling in uh, the HSA, the exchanges. So a health plan said, accidents, I'm gonna make it part of a covered service. Increase their enrollment of that target population. 360 point of view of the citizen, the consumer, the human, looking at them as a whole person, not just a disease state. Several states have all claims databases to get a better perspective of what's going on with healthcare in that area. You have analytic algorithms that many of your organizations are creating. Some of those can be shared into a common to empower your, your networks across you know, communities and, and networks. Virtual health reimbursement. A group in Georgia got the state to legislate reimbursement for school-based telemedicine visits. So the business model then exists. It's like any other visit, it's just done through telemedicine. Extensivists. How do we reach the people who are the sickest that are driving healthcare costs? We'll take an intensivist type person and make it an extensivist and send them out into people's homes as part of that system of care. And this is the huge. As you move from this vessel, the vessel that's been transacting payments and transactions and helping employers manage their healthcare costs with systems that are, that are being geared to move from transaction to value based. You've got to figure out how to do wellness. And I know that you can do it. You can do it because you're powered by your ingenuity and your relationships. Thank you. One minute early. One minute early. A couple quick questions. Yes, ma'am. They didn't identify any. Uh, did, have they identified any blue zones that are in? Career-obsessed culture. career cultures. So that's the challenge that we have to apply our knowledge. And insights from New Ulm, insights from the initial communities in the way to Wellville, and perhaps looking at it on a neighborhood level, whether it's a Medicaid neighborhood 
or a Medicare neighborhood? How do we, and I think that the way we're gonna do that is really tie down to specific sets of census tracts and zip codes and figure out if we can influence and create a culture of health. I'll throw one thing out that I didn't cover in this. Shared savings, right? We're all familiar with shared savings. In the concept of shared savings today, who gets paid? The health plan, the hospital, the doctors, if they do the right thing. Who's not getting paid? People. We gotta bring people into that loop. Make them part of the sharing equation. Whether it's part of a community or on an individual. That's it, right? No more questions, I'll be around most of the day. I got a couple calls, but, right, I'm good. Any other quick questions? Yes, quick question. Yes, and I've been thinking about that question a lot. So, but if you know me as a person, and I think we're gonna to have to identify that as part of this NIH cohort and the veterans. Look, if you, if, you pro, if you could take my genome and you have to ask me a question, do I want to know? So genetic counseling, the interpretation of this data. So if there's something I can do, so if I have a biomarker for Alzheimer's disease and getting better sleep and exercise is gonna delay the onset of Alzheimer's, I'm all over it, but if I have an incurable disease that there's no solution today, I don't want to know about it. So just like some people may want a text message and other people may want a phone call to remind them to take their meds, you have to ask the individual, and that, that's getting to know and getting an opt-in based on a trusted relationship. And frankly, the physician and the care teams are in the best place because they have the most trusted relationships with the people we're trying to serve. Not the health plans, not the pharmaceutical companies, but it's gonna to have to be empowering that care team that I have a better trust relationship with as a patient and as a person. Quick question. still better than everybody else's. <laughs> I, when you look at the, the scale of trust factors to all the other players, uh, in the beginning of the day, if you think about Uberizing any industry, so Amazon Uberized the Amazon, the book business, right? Authors, direct publishing, direct buyers, cut out the middleman. Beginning of the day, you got a care team and you got a person who needs help. All the other stuff in the middle becomes less important. So the stuff in the middle better figure out how to do what they can do at a much lower cost, which is why major health plans are diversifying into your industry segment and that these organizations become so attractive because you're the future of how they're gonna get things done. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC.